radio station. Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Money Talk. I'm Neil Kreisel and Diane Duvernay, your host every week right here on AM 1290, repeated at 11 and on Saturdays at 6. We're brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending, whose highly trained and experienced team takes great pride in helping people with home financing, offering competitive rates and a wide array of loan programs. American Riviera Bank, smart banking for smart people in Santa Barbara, at Figueroa and Anacapa Streets and in Montecito's Upper Village. And Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm in Santa Barbara, providing its clients with the personal care and attention of a small independent firm, coupled with the vast resources of a major financial institution. Hi, Neil. Are you staying dry out there today? Well, I was told by my real estate broker 22 years ago when I bought my house that it doesn't rain in Southern California. And I was very upset because I went out to run this morning and I got hit by a raindrop. I have to say, I am enjoying it. It, it has been a nice change. We need a few more storms like this. So then, you know, you can turn on the faucet and water will continue to come out. But you don't have three dogs, though. I have two kids. It's the same, you know. No, no, the, no, your kids don't have to get walked on the lawn, and they don't, and they won't go out. So it's it's quite different. <laughs> all right, we all we all feel your pain, Neil. We feel your pain. <laughs> so, anyways, we have a guest, which we're thrilled to have with us, Robert Brunswick, who is the co-founder and chairman of Buchanan Street Partners, with us, joining us from Laguna Beach. Thanks so much, Robert, for being here with us. My pleasure. Looking forward to it. Thanks for the invite. So the first article I thought uh, is important today because it involves uh, the outlook for China. And China, as we all know, is an incredibly important economic driver for the whole world. And this is an article by one of my favorites, Paul Krugman, not everyone's favorite, but he doesn't get into really political issues. He's really talking about some fundamental things that we should take a look at when we're looking at China and China's impact on the world economy. The... um, uh, ability of China to uh, have this incredible growth uh, has been, as he said, a combination of technological borrowing from more advanced nations and a huge transfer of population from rural areas to cities. But as technological sophistication grew and the reservoir of rural labor shrank, growth, growth was bound to slow. Uh, and here's the problem. Chinese spending patterns haven't adjusted to the needs of a slower growth economy. In particular, the country still has very high savings rate. So to maintain full employment, it needs to, um, uh, it needs to uh, uh, b- borrow, and it does not have uh, the uh, spending that one would expect of a growth country. And one of the really strange things is that China has um, uh, not improved its uh, uh, spending versus its savings rate. Its savings rate is very high. And one of the reasons that Krugman points out is that there's no social safety net. And because of the one-child uh, rule over the last 30 years, uh, people don't believe that there's going to be children available to help when they get older. So the uh, savings rate is very high as a percentage of GDP. People are not spending. And so the only way that China was able to continue its economic expansion was through uh, creating a housing bubble. And so uh, what Krugman is afraid of is that unless 
the Chinese people start spending, uh, the uh, which is unlikely, uh, that you have a housing uh, boom that funded the growth, which could really be uh, very impactful on the world economy. Absolutely, because their growth has has slipped from about you know seven point nine percent to about four point nine percent just this last quarter. And so I, I think what we're going to see in China, though, is I do think we're going to start seeing. I disagree with Krugman in that I think we will see some um, spending as as their population ages. They're going to need to start spending on healthcare. So, do you always disagree with the Nobel Prize winner in economics on economic issues? It's, very- just, it's just fun, you know me. Okay, so the next article is by Jason Swag from the Intelligent Investor column on weekends in the Wall Street Journal, and it's entitled "What." to do when your investment advisor catches a case of crypto fever. And uh, this article is talking about the fact that uh, investment advisors have tended not to put their clients in in crypto, uh, in uh, cryptocurrencies. And uh, a a recent survey by uh, Bitwise Asset Management in San Francisco found that 81% of their of, of, of the entire world of financial advisors had been asked in the previous 12 months by their clients about investing in crypto. And yet only 9% have already put their clients in cryptocurrency. So, uh, you know, everyone who listens to the show knows that uh, Diane and I view of crypto, uh, but there seems to be this pressure now where clients, you know, have this fear of mi- missing out and are putting pressure on their investment advisors to find a way for them to invest in crypto. And with the announcement, with the actual introduction uh, the last week of a ETF in crypto, there's going to be uh, more pressure on investment advisors to acquiesce to what these uh, what people are seeking, which is this you know incredible return, even if it makes no sense. Well, and what I think is interesting about that ETF that came out last week is it's actually not investing in crypto directly. It's actually investing in futures of crypto, which is very different. And also, um, I caution people to really do the research on it before they they jump in, regardless of what their investment advisor is recommending. Yeah. The, in fact, there was an article in the, in the, I didn't bring it in, but there was an article this weekend about one of the structural problems of the Bitcoin ETF, because uh, they don't buy uh, Bitcoin, they they buy futures, and they only buy uh, one month futures. So there is an ability for hedge funds to do what's called front running, which is they'll go out and they'll buy the second month worth of uh, futures, knowing that eventually the uh, ETF is going to have to sell the first month and get the second month, whatever that means. But the point is that the ETF uh, system uh, is not so easily implemented. And so uh, a competitor for the latest edition uh, just announced uh, yesterday they're not going to go into the market right now. So it may not be as big a deal as as everyone thought. Um, This is an interesting article. It probably is not going to impact anybody around here. But a little-known rule went into effect. The Securities Exchange Commission announced at the end of September that uh, if a over-the-counter stock, and it, for those of us, well, not us, because I'm one of them that know what 
pink sheets are and over-the-counter stocks are. And these are stocks that you know trade uh, outside of any exchange, and they're usually very small stocks um, and uh, not very well capitalized or uh, not very sophisticated. And typically, that they don't have the kind of financial reporting the SEC requires. So the SEC has said that if uh, the uh, unlisted stock does not have a financial report, then you not, you're not allowed to buy it unless you're a, a, a institution. And so people are complaining now that there are opportunities to buy these small stocks and uh, they're unable, they can sell, but they can't buy. Um, and, uh, and the final article today is um, about, and this is really strange, um, there is a plan, uh, a, a pension plan that you can buy in Malta. And it, this came out in some of the stories about what's going on with uh, very, very rich people avoiding taxes. And uh, Malta has a uh, an opportunity, which uh, for some reason, the uh, IRS has not closed yet, although with this article, they may close it, where you can uh, open up an account in Malta as a U.S. citizen um, and uh, put in any amount of money that you want. And the example they use is somebody putting in $30 million into a tax-free account. And once it goes into that tax-free account, it can be anything that's in it can be sold tax-free. And the U.S. accepts that. So if you have $30 million, you put it into a Maltese equivalent of an IRA. And as long as you can prove that you're not taking all of it out, that there's some left for retirement, uh, after one month, you can take it out. It is tax-free both in Malta and in the U.S. So if you're an entrepreneur that has a very cheap stock uh, that uh, you got in a because you were an employee or a founder of a uh, new fun, uh, public company that is worth a penny on in terms of cost, you can deposit that into this account and then sell it at market value without any taxes, which is completely insane. Wow, that's pretty amazing. I'm surprised more tech entrepreneurs haven't, haven't used that. I'm surprised you haven't used that. <laughs> I wish I had that problem, Neil. Well, we're going to get to more realistic investment opportunities after the break. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSB, and we'll be right back. For prospective homebuyers, one of the most important steps of the loan process is getting clear and honest information from someone who will speak plainly and truthfully about loan programs and options. I'm Kelly Marsh, Vice President, California, of Cornerstone Home Lending, where our highly skilled and experienced team takes great pride in helping clients obtain home financing with honest, knowledgeable, fast, friendly, and efficient service. As a Santa Barbara native who has spent the past 20 years in the mortgage industry and has closed over 4,000 loans, I'd appreciate the opportunity to earn your business and invite 
invite you to visit the kellymarshteam.com or call my office at 805-563-1100 to learn more about how Cornerstone Home Lending can help you determine the best way to manage mortgage debt to achieve a more stable financial future. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. California Residential Mortgage Lending Act license number 41DB072220. California Financial Lending Law license number 60DB072528. Loan originator NMLS number 245822. Not a commitment alone. Equal housing opportunity. It's a fact. Successful wealth management is built on strategies that focus on the big picture, take a long-term view, and establish deep and valued relationships. Hello, I'm Diane Duva, founding partner at Arlington Financial Advisors, Santa Barbara's trusted family guide, empowering you to make more informed and confident decisions. At Arlington Financial Advisors, we bring order and balance to your financial life by monitoring and managing risk so you can focus on your work, family, and enjoying the moment. We are a fully independent firm offering strategic financial planning, estate and tax planning, and private money management. Our plans and portfolios are handcrafted using a rigorous and disciplined approach, supported by a consistent yet highly personalized client experience. Our clients look to Arlington Financial Advisors as a home away from home, a comfortable place to protect what they've accomplished while they prepare for what comes next. Please visit ArlingtonFinancialAdvisors.com or call me, Diane Duva, at 805-699-7300. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending. Since 1988, a mortgage banker and direct lender that believes in providing in-depth loan consulting to its customers in a personalized and honest manner. And we can be reached at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com, or you could call us here at the station, 805-564-1290. So if you're just joining us, we have the pleasure of having Robert Brunswick, the co-founder and chairman of Buchanan Street Partners with us today. And to give you a little background about Buchanan Street Partners, it is a real estate investment management firm headquartered in Newport Beach. So Robert, thank you so much for being here with us today. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Looking forward to uh, having a conversation. So during the break, we were talking to you and and it turns out you graduated from Cal. Go go Bears. Right. So tell us a little bit about how you transitioned from, you know, radio at uh, Cal to, uh, you know, investment uh, in real estate. Sure. I was just telling Diane and uh, Neil that uh, I worked as an intern at a radio station and uh, learned early on when I asked the, um, the head of sales there if I should consider the, the, the industry, they said, no, I would encourage you to look elsewhere. So I had the good opportunity as a young man to get introduced to real estate, which was when I got in the business in 1981, it was you know, kind of cowboys and Indians. It was inefficient. The capital markets were not predictable. Uh, it was a good time to grow up in the real estate business. And we fast forward to today uh, where it's, you know, a, a staple of anybody's uh, investment portfolio. So tell us about what what spurred you to, uh, you know, find Buchanan Street Partners. Sure. So Buchanan Street's a street in San Francisco. Uh, after Cal, I started my career up in the Bay Area, as I mentioned. And uh, one of the first firms I worked for was a company called Pacific Union that owns Meadowood and lots of properties up there. So I formed a joint venture with them in the financial intermediary business where we arrange debt and equity for commercial and multifamily real estate. And that, that Pacific Union was headquartered on Buchanan Street. 
So with that, um, years later, uh, as uh, the entrepreneurial uh, interest was growing, we decided to start our company, myself and several partners. And so now 22 years, 22 years going forward, we're located in Southern California, but it kept our namesake uh, Buchanan Street from the Bay Area. Reminding you of your roots in the, uh, the more rainy, cloudy weather, right? Absolutely, yes, good, good memories. <laughs> so, so when you decided to, to branch out on your own, what was your driving force in, in, in taking that leap? You know, sometimes uh, I think just a little bit of luck, but we were very disciplined in building and creating a business plan for our company. We saw an opportunity specifically within your sector where investors were going to look for an allocation, an increasing allocation to real estate. You know, in the, in the, in the past, pension funds and life insurance companies would have a very small percentage of their investments uh, contributed to real estate. Whereas today that 3% grown to more like 10 to 12%. And with that high net worths and registered investment advisors are really looking to get an increase to allocation uh, in real estate. So we, with that kind of vision of the future, we went out and built a business that would be a financial in, you know, investment manager, an RIA for both high net worths and institutions. And we were fortunate in our early days to get given an, a, an allocation from CalPERS as an emerging manager way back when. Uh, this is now 20 years ago, as we were investing in uh, on their behalf within the real estate space. And from there really grew our high net worth practice. Wow, that's great. So so tell us about when you started your business, what was the biggest struggle? What was the biggest challenge that you faced? Because sure. you know, when I hear that you've got an allocation to CalPERS, CalPERS represents 1% of all of the US economy. So that's a pretty awesome um, first sure. first investor, if you will. Yeah, and that was certainly, uh, to your point, an, an, a knighting of sorts, a good housekeeping seal of approval for us in the, our infancy. But, you know, sometimes it's the old saying, what you don't know is good, because if you didn't know it, you wouldn't do it. Or if you knew it, you wouldn't do it. Uh, and in fact, the reality was, um, we before CalPERS came along, we looked to raise our first fund. And it took us 18 months to raise a $25 million fund. Then CalPERS came along, then more institutions. But I think one of the biggest challenges is as an investment manager to provide that credibility to those prospective investors to, to handle their money on a discretionary basis, because a lot of real estate invest in, investing is a you know, blind pool. It's a fund concept. So you allocate to the fund and, and wish for the best. Um, but CalPERS helped us. And, and then uh, you know, fast forward over the next 10 years, we probably raised close to a billion and a half dollars of equity. Um, and raise multiple funds with the likes of the state of Oregon and the regions of California. But if you look at us today, uh, Diane, we are much more geared towards uh, representing and managing high net worth investor and registered investment advisors clientele's money uh, for lots of different reasons. Uh, but just a, a quick answer to your first question about one of the challenges as you're building a business. Absolutely. And so so you invest in both in commercial, multifamily, and self storage um, at at Buchanan, and you also make debt investments. Tell us about the differences in those segments. Sure. Um, so just to back up a little bit for your listening audience, uh, I kind of break commercial and multifamily real estate into four kind of primary segments that we've historically thought of. 
that being industrial, multifamily, um, retail, and then office. And that, those were the four major food groups, which got a predominant amount of the allocation when people invested in real estate. Fast forward to today, and it's much more diverse with things like uh, medical and life science and storage and manufactured housing and for rental housing, there's a lot more opportunity for investors to diversify what they invest in real estate. Um, but yes, we invest in, um, in apartments, in commercial and self-storage, and then we make loans. And so simply said, in the storage and commercial and multifamily space, we sponsor open-ended investment vehicles, which allows the investor to invest with some redemption ability uh, in something that provides a current yield with then some appreciation if, if in fact that happens through the marks that you realize in, in your investment vehicle. And then- How, how, do, how, how do you guarantee that though? Uh, if the real estate uh, market is doesn't have liquidity at any moment in time, isn't that a promise that always can't be delivered? Yes, great question and observation, Neil. And the redemption feature is certainly um, uh, available to the extent it's available. So we provide that redemption with just ongoing capital raising, uh, credit facilities for that redemption. But to your point, if the market is challenged, we then have these gate features, which we can close the gate and limit the redemption um, as in essence, we're looking out for the investors because many times when people look to redeem, they might be redeeming at a bad time in the cycle where you don't want to be forced to have to sell an asset that's a good asset that's just being forced to sell because of a redemption queue. So um, heretofore, we've had virtually no redemption request. Most of our investors don't need it or use it. But again, they like to know it's there if they want to you know, uh, take some money off the table, if you will, uh, for other needs in their in their life in their portfolio. And one of the really uh, uh, problematical um, issues for any you know private equity uh, fund is 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 marking to market properly the asset. Um, and um, when you look at your assets, uh, how do you know that your marks are ac are are accurate? Sure. And um, we do that because we have uh, appraisals that are done each year. Um, and then we have quarterly uh, discounted cash flow and internal analysis for ourselves so that we can be very mindful of a true mark. So that as you continue to raise money for those new investors, you want to have that new investment made with a as close to market uh, pricing as you can realize. I mean, recognizing that uh, there are people doing silly things on buying assets today. So what we might mark something at, we in fact might be able to sell it for a much greater price, given right now the supply, demand, and balance for good investments. So, you know, we've been doing this for a long time, Neil, and we manage money for institutions. So our protocols and procedures and involvement in, in valuing assets is, is quite uh, predictable and uh, approved at many levels uh, through the processes we go through. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSB, and we'll be right back. When a bank is owned by the community and invests in the community, it answers to a different call. It's personal. It's driven by your needs, not ours. Welcome to American Riviera Bank, based right here in Santa Barbara with branches in Montecito and Goleta. 
Our customers know us for personal service, every day, every way. You can bank on us. Bank on us. Bank on us! American Riviera Bank. Bank on better. If you have trouble handling your anger, get help. If someone you love is hurting or scaring you, get help. There is a full-service domestic violence agency in Santa Barbara County, which offers emergency shelter, counseling, transitional housing, anger management, and teen outreach programs. Its name is Domestic Violence Solutions for Santa Barbara County. Call their 24-hour helpline at 964-5245. Domestic Violence Solutions for Santa Barbara County. Putting an end to domestic violence. Did you know that domestic violence sends more than 500 women and children to emergency shelters every year? There is a place where all family members affected by domestic violence can get help. Domestic Violence Solutions for Santa Barbara County. With four 24-hour phone lines to help. In Santa Barbara, call 964-5245. In Santa Maria, call 925-2160. In Lompoc, call 736-0965. And in Santa Inez, call 686-4390. As long ago as the late 1960s, the Penn Central Railroad offered a version of cellular payphones on its Metroliners. The first modern cell phone was introduced this month in 1983 in Chicago with a call to Alexander Graham Bell's grandson. In 1990, there were just over 5 million people in the country with cell phones. By 2000, that number was nearly 110 million. Now, 97% of American households have cell phones. Profile America is a public service of the U.S. Census Bureau. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. So, Robert, your firm lends in a bunch of in a number of markets. How do you conduct your due diligence for that? Sure. And as we were talking before the break, um, one of the products we've created is a lending business. And the reason we created it, it's become a proxy for investors for their fixed income. As we all know what's going on with the search for yield and the bond market, the lending business provides us with uh, that predictability to provide some stated and current yields for our investors in, in a more protected position in a, within a first deed of trust. But to answer your question, um, you know, we've been in this business now uh, for 30 plus years. So we have great contacts in all of the various markets that we lend in. But to your point, we, we, are, we really lend in markets that we know, we have other assets in, we have conversancy, we know the values well. So if we're gonna make a loan, we're confident in, in, likely, in the unlikely event we had to take that asset back that we could uh, create liquidity and maintain our, our value in that asset. So on the ground due diligence, uh, uh, relationships, and our own experience in making loans in those markets. I'm sure this is a I saw this is a question every in potential investor asks. How did you do in 2008? Wow. You're, okay, you're taking us back uh, to yeah. that. Going uh, right for um, the jugular, Neil. Amazing time. <laughs> you know, um, I, in odd way, Neil, it's what we're one of the things we're most proud of in terms of how we behaved in a very tough time. And I would tell you that. Fortunately, the investment vehicles we had at that time maintained liquidity because we saw a bit of this coming. We saw some of the silliness. So because of our uncalled capital, we were able to right some of the wrongs. And a lot of that was just there was no bid. It wasn't that the underlying real estate was bad. 
um, or that we picked the wrong investment. It just, there was no way to get liquid or there was no way to borrow. So we kept a lot of liquidity to fix assets. And we worked very hard. One fund in particular that was highlighted in that time frame. We, we got back, um, you know, the original dollar for our investors, which we're very proud of, where most funds couldn't speak to that. And it's because we kept, you know, our powder dry during that time. But it wasn't a fun time by any means. And, you know, we, we all should be mindful that real estate is a cyclical business. And I think what you need to do first and foremost is really watch the capital markets, watch the liquidity. What's different this time is that we, we're not overbuilding. The banks aren't overlending um, in construction and that there right now is a tremendous desire to put money to work. But the balance sheet of the U.S. real estate and real estate is much healthier because there's more equity on the balance sheet than debt today because of the interest in getting some yield by the investor base. You know, so there's, a, there's, there's a guy in town here um, who um, was very successful years ago, uh, and he started a warehouse company, a public warehousing. Sure. And uh, he and his partner went to Stanford and their, uh, th their case history was written up, I think either at Harvard or at Stanford as a case study. And one of the things he said is the reason they chose that particular part of the real estate business, it was the simplest thing to run. Uh, sure. And uh, I wonder how, how you feel about that. Well, there's no doubt I'm on the, the board of a, um, an industrial company called Bixby Land. You probably have heard of Bixby. And um, industrial of all the food groups has probably been the most successful, predictable, and its valuations are you know through the roof. I think to a point where you got a question, is the, is the yield um, appropriate for what you're paying for that side of the ledger? But you're correct, easy real estate to run. One of the reasons we're, we're active in multifamily and self-storage. Um, again, there's predictability. Unlike in, we're in office, you have a lot of CapEx, i.e. every time a tenant leaves, you got to put new tenant improvements in and new uh, commissions. Uh, you don't have those type of uh, CapEx costs in, in storage and multifamily. So uh, that's one of the reasons that we've invested heavily in those particular segments. And probably the, the, the one of area that will take over that uh, category of the easiest to invest in is cloud uh, computing facilities. Uh, you know, converting a building and then putting a bunch of computers in and letting somebody just net net lease it from you. Yeah, we we refer to that as data center investing, and you're absolutely right. It's become very popular. There's limitations as to how much money you can put to work in that space, though. So while it makes sense, again, you can't put. Um, you know, enough money to really satisfy a lot of these pension funds with their, their desire. So given that you said that, you, you know, you are seeing people come to you for a proxy for fixing, fixed income, how are you managing that demand given, you know, when you look at the 10-year treasury yields at, you know, one and a half percent, let's say, how, when you have this new money coming in, how are you getting it to work? How do you have enough deals to, to make the money flow? Sure. Good question. Um, you know, you got to know who you are as a business operator and who you're not. We're not trying to be all things to all people. I wouldn't want to have to put billions of dollars to work in today's market in equity and debt within real estate. Fortunately, we're a regional based organization that has uh, a modest investment goal. So, you know, we're making 10 to 15 loans a year. We're going to make 10 to 15 investments. So we can look at lots of things 
Um, so when we find something, Diane, we're sure it meets kind of our uh, tough underwriting guidelines and our yield requirements to know that we can meet the yield. And I think people invest with us not so much for um, the yield, but moreover for the, um, uh, I mean, the, the yield is, is appropriate for the risk we're taking, but they invest in it because of, when I say uh, the investor, I mean the borrower in, uses our money because of the predictability of close. Um, this, they, they know that when they uh, underwrite with Buchanan Street, they're gonna get kind of the loan as advertised. And most of the people borrowing for money from us want to close a transaction within two, three, four weeks. So banks can't do that because they're regulated. We have much more latitude as to how we can structure and close our investments. So do you ever get pushback from investors when you put them in something and it's really a good investment, but it's so good, uh, somebody comes along and offers you a ridiculous price. So you have to sell it. And the investor then says, I don't want to sell it. I'm not going to be able to replace the yield. It's yeah. sort of it's sort of a ironic conflict. I mean, you get you know you carried interest, uh, they get a big profit, but yet they don't want to sell. Neil, uh, excellent question. Um, and yes, when we started our business, we were more of a value add investor. You know, so you'd raise the money, you'd invest the money, you'd perform on the investment, you then sell it. And the investor says, "Thank you for the handsome IRR. Thank you for the multiple. But now, what am I going to do with the money that you gave back?" So you have to appreciate that type of investing. We took a higher risk. So when that risk is gone, we then uh, appropriately give the money back. Today, we're much more of a core investor, core plus. We take less risk. And the reason we have open-ended funds is to your question, it's more of a permanent investment vehicle, um, which again, will uh, provide that long-term nature of it. But having said that, we do some one-off investing where we take more risk. And that one-off investing, um, again, once you've realized what we think is an appropriate return, and our view is if somebody's willing to pay us more than for something that we think it's worth, and we've achieved what we told our investors we're going to achieve, we're going to sell it. And hopefully that's a small basket of their investments. And most of their capital has been put to work in what I will call long-term cash flowing predictable investments. And so given that, you know, these low interest rates are great for um, investors, how are you preparing for higher rates? And what is your time horizon on that? Yeah, well, you know, um, Diane, real estate's a levered asset class. And, and, you know, a lot of the institutions today buy investments with no leverage. But I would say the average private investor uses leverage because it's very uh, attractive. So the key is securing the right leverage for the right term. So when we buy our apartments, we'll we utilize life insurance money, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, HUD financing, where we can get good long-term financing. So we're less concerned with rates going up because we've secured some long-term fixed rate loans. But certainly as rates go up for your new investments, it's gonna impact your um, underwriting because you're not gonna be able to generate the same type of return if you're now paying more for debt and you're using leverage. So with that being said, uh, certainly it's on the top of everybody's mind. And I think it's not uh, if, it's just when we're going to have these rates come up and that's going to impact cap rates and everything else. I've been saying interest rates are going up since since like early 2000. I've yet to be right. But yes, it does feel that they are going to go up. <laughs> yes. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSB and we'll be right back. 
When Dad needed help getting around, I became his driver. Any daughter would do the same. But soon enough, he needed help doing more things, and it was up to me to be his personal shopper and financial manager, too. And before I knew it, Dad moved in with me, so I became his cook, his personal assistant, his physical therapist, and even his nurse. When I started taking care of Dad, I didn't realize all the roles I'd have to play. But no matter what, I know I'm still his daughter. We understand the many roles you play. And to help, we created an online caregiving resource center. At aarp.org caregiving, you can find resources and connect with the caregiving community. Together, we can better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org caregiving to learn more. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. The Hearts Therapeutic Equestrian Center offers therapeutic horsemanship for individuals with disabilities, for veterans, and for at-risk youth. And the organization has some volunteer opportunities. Here's Morgan Kastanek. We train everybody. We are more than happy to start from the ground up. The most common way to get started is to be a sidewalker. You are literally walking alongside the participant while they're in the saddle. We also have groomers and tackers. They're the ones who get the horses ready for lessons. And then we also have leaders. And those are the folks who are actually hooked up to the horse, to the halter during lessons. And they are leading the horse through the arena. Email our volunteer coordinator. Her name is Kiz, K-I-Z, and her email is kiz at heartsriding.org. To learn more about volunteer opportunities, go to heartsriding.org, heartsriding.org. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by American Riviera Bank. Making your life easier with cutting-edge technology, mobile deposits, free use of every ATM machine in the country, and a level of service other banks can only dream about. So, Robert, tell us about the firm that you built. Tell us about how many people you have, you know, what, how, how, how the sausage is made, so to speak. Sure. Well, as I mentioned earlier, you know, 22 years in existence. It's a great entrepreneur story, myself and a couple of partners, and we've built it up and... Uh, you know, our brand is significant and we've uh, enjoyed uh, kind of our, our our run. And I think as all good entrepreneurs recognize, you got to keep reinventing yourself. Um, I mentioned that we used to do more value add investing. Today, we do more stable, predictable cash flowing investments, which I call core and core plus, because that's what our clients have asked for. You know, we've gotten active in self-storage. We've gotten active in lending. So we're, we're continuing to evolve to where the market allows you to evolve. And uh, but to answer your question, 25 employees headquartered in Newport Beach, Chicago office, regionally based because we invest in the West and Southwest. And we're very focused on that. I don't think you can be a great investor in too many cities. So, you know, we have kind of five to six kind of core areas we invest. Um, we are owned today a third by TCW. So the entrepreneur who had lots of his own money in the, the, fund, the, the funds and the business uh, look to grow. And one of the ways to grow was to bring in uh, Trust Company of the West, um, who owned a larger piece, and we've since bought more back. So uh, that's been a good ad. They're institutional and really a fixed income man- manager of, of great reputation. So w- what about, we talked during the break about single family house 
investing, which is a new thing, which I don't quite understand. Have you gotten into that market? Yeah, I've made investments in that space outside of our company, uh, Neil. It's a very management intensive business, but certainly um, those entrepreneurs that stepped up uh, when we had our courthouse step housing sales and when, when things were very challenged, kind of led the way and took the early risk. You know, you look at Warren Buffett and Sam Zell, some of the big names out there, they probably now wish they would have made the trade. Um, but today it's a very predictable asset class uh, with more and more investors investing with managers who run houses. You know, what I found is that the current return wasn't as good as the gain on appreciation of the homes. So we got our return. We just didn't get it through current yield. We got it through uh, the long-term value appreciation. But you know, that is changing. And what for sale or for rent housing is doing is it's impacting the, the housing market. It's making it tough for people to buy houses because you have these institutions that are buying homes all cash and closing quickly, uh, making it very difficult for a home buyer to buy a home. It's also, I think, going to have some impact on the apartment business because people are going to say to themselves, I would rather have uh, um a house with all the space I can get at in renting versus the apartment. So we we don't invest in that space. We we prefer the multi. We think it has more predictability of liquidity and more operating efficiency. And more diversification. I completely agree with you. Oftentimes when I'm speaking with clients who are looking to invest themselves in real estate, I say, you know, you definitely want to do a duplex triplex because it just diversifies out. All the, most of the risk or as much as the risk as you can. No doubt. Yes. And, and so now given, given uh, the fact that, so you're a 25 person firm, you have a new deal coming out. Tell us a little bit about the deal and, and who, who can get involved and who should get involved. Yeah. So as a registered investment advisor, you were certainly, uh, you know, very attentive to compliance and we can't kind of pitch our deals in, in but what I can tell you is we're in the business of, uh, we have open-ended investment funds, which uh, you know invest in, again, from commercial to storage to multifamily. Uh, our investors are um, accredited uh, and qualified. So I think you know what those parameters require, which I imagine are most of your clients or your listenership. Um, and as, if they meet those criteria, then we uh, regularly talk to them about making investments with our firm. And we're with open-ended fund vehicles, we're constantly, uh, you know, building investor queues uh, to take advantage of our next investment for that particular investment vehicle. So you, so you do take individual investors? Oh, yes. As I think I mentioned earlier, we still manage money for uh, institutions like, you know, various states, pension funds and uh, firms, you know, uh, just pensions, like I mentioned earlier, but I would tell you that our business has really grown much more uh, significantly to registered investment advisors and high net worth investors. We enjoy them as clients. Uh, we like educating them. I teach at UCI and I find that, uh, you know, it's, it's a more rewarding experience. We enjoy our institutions, but there's a lot more uh, institutional process that we uh, go through. Um, so we're really, our focus right now is those RIAs and HNWs. So I take it you have to build up your investment uh, 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 consulting or whatever you call it, investment uh, uh, professionals to talk to all these people. Yes, uh, we have a team in our company that are very proficient at uh, 
you know, we're very compliance centric. Uh, so with that, uh, they understand who to talk to and how to approach them and what's happened, you know, we're just fortunate, you know, as I mentioned, the hardest one was that first one. And when you prov provide good results, you report appropriately, uh, you communicate well, um, we have a lot of repeat investors. So a significant amount of our new capital is just people diversifying their real estate through our very funds. So a two-part question of the same focus, and that's about REITs. Uh, a, uh, they're a tough competitor because of their low cost of money. So the first part of the question is, how do you compete with REITs? And the second part of the question is, would you consider forming a REIT? Yes. Um, good questions. I would tell you that I don't view REITs as a real proxy to what we do. Um, as a private investor, what I would tell you is that we work within more of an inefficient side of the business. REITs are significant in size. Uh, to that end, they buy much larger assets. Um, they're kind of looking to put that year's capital to work in that vintage uh, real estate investment for that year. Uh, we're a little more mindful of uh, a yield that we think is appropriate for the risk return and we don't need to put out that large amount of money. You know, I think a REIT, Neil, is more of a proxy to the, the, the equity market. Because, and with that, you have the volatility of that equity market. As less sophisticated investors pull their investment, it affects prices. Or as Diane mentioned, as, as rates go up, REIT stocks probably will go down uh, somewhat given that correlation. So um, we don't really compete with REITs. Uh, they're, the, they're, they're an excellent vehicle. By no means do I think they're inappropriate. I think for smaller investors, you know, our average investor is a larger investor. So um, with that, uh, you know, you can make an investment for $1,000 in a REIT. Uh, so I think very appropriate for um, most investors in the marketplace. And if so you want to need liquidity, you can get it. So you, you mentioned that you invest in smaller properties. What, what's your average... Uh uh, investor investment. I would tell you that we we work in the mid market where we're buying investments between twenty five and one hundred million dollars. That's that's not that's total in bef with debt. That's the total capital, and then we lever you know anywhere from no leverage to pay if it's one of our institutional investors to anywhere to 65 percent leverage. So when you mention uh, if if it's an institutional investor, so a deal comes into you. You have to sit down with yourself and decide who's going to get it, right? That's part of the, uh, uh, in a sense, you know, conflict between the funds and an individual investor. You've got to, you know, make sure you 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 put it in 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 the appropriate pocket, but also make sure everybody has a fair chance. Another excellent question. We are very disciplined with that procedure, as you've just outlined. With um, all of our funds have a different bucket of need. So we really don't have a conflict. And when we do, we're very mindful of running that conflict up the, the flagpole, if you will, of those particular investment groups. But within the funds we have discretion over, there are no conflicts. They're all differentiated. Um, there's an institution or two that looks to do the same thing, with, but we don't have discretion over their capital. So with that, we're able to manage that conflict as you've uh, articulated. And well, it's a different, different risk profile too. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSB, and we'll be right back with our final segment.
For prospective homebuyers, one of the most important steps of the loan process is getting clear and honest information from someone who will speak plainly and truthfully about loan programs and options. I'm Kelly Marsh, Vice President, California, of Cornerstone Home Lending, where our highly skilled and experienced team takes great pride in helping clients obtain home financing with honest, knowledgeable, fast, friendly, and efficient service. As a Santa Barbara native who has spent the past 20 years in the mortgage industry and has closed over 4,000 loans, I'd appreciate the opportunity to earn your business and invite you to visit the Kelly Marsh team.com or call my office at 805-563-1100 to learn more about how Cornerstone Home Lending can help you determine the best way to manage mortgage debt to achieve a more stable financial future. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. California Residential Mortgage Lending Act license number 41DB072220. California Financial Lending Law license number 60DB072528. Loan originator NMLS number 245822. Not a commitment to loan. Equal housing opportunity. When a bank is owned by the community and invests in the community, it answers to a different call. It's personal. It's driven by your needs, not ours. Welcome to American Riviera Bank, based right here in Santa Barbara with branches in Montecito and Goleta. Our customers know us for personal service every day, every way. You can bank on us. Bank on us. Bank on us! American Riviera Bank. Bank on better. What is dedication? My daughter started making necklaces. She makes what we call affirmation fashion. I tell her every day that your black is beautiful. And if there's anything better than being beautiful, it's being smart. And if there's anything better than being smart, it's being kind. And reaffirming that every day is our method of making sure her chin never drops. That's dedication. Visit fatherhood.gov to hear more. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. So, Robert, we talked about commercial and multifamily. Can you tell us about more of the storage side of the business and, and that space? Sure. Um, I'd love to. It's, it's something we're quite enthusiastic about. I think most of your listeners probably are aware of what's happened in storage. Storage uh, REITs over the last year up you know, some 40%. These are the big public REITs. Um, again, we're kind of playing in that mid-market where we see great inefficiencies. We're buying new brand new storage that have some vacancy for various reasons and good markets. Uh, but just, I think storage in general, we kind of look at the reason we like it. We've been a lender for years and years. So we've watched it and now see it as a, as an asset class that uh, ha- has really realized much more liquidity and predictability to its performance. And we think kind of a proxy to multifamily, though, be it with a little bit better return. So we kind of call it the six D's, of why storage is really um, taken off. And so it's decluttering, death, divorce, dislocation, disaster, um, but most importantly, demographics, uh, to be positive, is um, you know most of the, the users of storage today, the growing user has never rented storage before, they're doing it now. It's the X's, Y's, and Z's, who are some 60%, 62% of the population today. People don't realize that millennials are a larger demographic than the baby boomers. And what the, that group is doing is they're recognizing the value of storage. They can buy or rent a smaller house, use storage on a more cost-efficient basis to supplement that housing cost. Um, 
they have lockers now. Uh, people rent five by five lockers in storage. So, you know, today's storage is not what the past looked like. If you looked at a brand new storage a day to transaction today, you would mistaken it for a hotel or an office building. So it's really been brought up, you know, uh, to a much uh, more predictable investment asset class. And with that, we see opportunity. We've got good access. So we've built uh, an open-ended investment vehicle to take advantage of just that. And the other place that's been very popular is on Netflix crime thrillers, where they always find the body in the uh, <laughs> hidden away in the storage unit. Neil, I don't watch those, but uh, it's been brought to my attention that that opportunity could exist. We, we are not looking for that tenant base. <laughs> yeah, they don't. They tend not to pay their bills, right? Right. Exactly. <laughs> so if someone was listening and wanted to reach out to learn more about Buchanan Street Partners, where should how should they reach you, Robert? Oh, that's nice, Dan. Uh, you know, I just go on uh, BuchananStreet.com. Uh, uh, Tom Downs, who uh, kind of spearheads uh, that activity for us, and Chris McDonald, uh, um, by the way, a gaucho, so a good Santa Barbara uh, uh, graduate, um, heads up that uh, activity for us. Chris and I have been partners for, you know, now 30 plus years before Buchanan. So both uh, they can both uh, help you, and we'd love to have the inquiries by your uh, listenership. So thank you so much, Robert. It sounds really uh uh, really interesting what you do, and it's a t and I know from being in a similar business, it's a, it's a very difficult job. Uh, thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Money Talk, and we'll see you all next. It's 3.30.